right, welcome to the Wise Men Say podcast. It's Good Friday. It's Easter. This is the first ever time we've recorded um, on a morning. So excuse us if we sound a little bit uh, jaded and mid-coffee, but uh, that's going to be the way it is. Joined this morning by Chris Weatherspoon. Good morning. How are we doing? Doing all right. Um, it's been going out on walks. I've been uh, just walking around shops, walking within two metres of people, coughing on people. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait until... Can't wait until we actually do this stuff for real. <laughs> so, Chris, what have you been up to then? Um, well, Crash Bandicoot arrived yesterday, so um, that um, we did a quiz night on Wednesday. That was fun. Um, How did you get on with that? Well, I, I was hosting, so thank, thankfully, oh, pro- thankfully, Ali McCoy, McCoy didn't come up. Thankfully. Yeah. That's a shame. Um, Did you mention yeah. that, Chris? Did you mention your terrible? <laughs> no, I left that out. Oh. Um, I've got PTSD over that, so I thought I'd just leave that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, it is a. It, these are simpler times we're living in. Yeah, we we just got um, we just got Disney Plus the other day. Um, we spent all of yesterday, the entire day, with a break to go cycling, um, watching Simpsons. It's been brilliant. I think that's a very effective use of your time. Yeah, great. Look, they just keep because they just keep stacking them up. You know, there's no kind of there's no chill. It just <laughs> as soon as one finishes, the next one starts. It's like brilliant. Does it? What you, does what Disney, you got planned this? Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, Chris. does Disney Plus at least ask you if you're still there, like Netflix did? I've no, I don't think Netflix does yeah. that anymore because it already knows that everyone has to still be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, every now and then it'll kind of like. Say, do you want to watch the next episode? And I'm like, yeah, yes. <laughs> so, Rory, what you got planned this Easter weekend then? Like, this is the most sad I've probably been about the pandemic because I love Easter weekends. Um, as me and Matthew always say, it's better than Christmas because the weather's nicer. You've got the same amount of football going on as you do over Christmas. Everyone's in the pub. You've got those bank holidays squeezed in. And, like, I forgot yesterday that I was like, oh, yeah, well, one, I forgot it was even Friday tomorrow, like, when, like, last night. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's Good Friday as well. And then I was like, oh, no, like, we should have had, like, Wimbledon away and then... Yeah, we, we should be, we should be getting beat at Wimbledon. Yeah, day, exactly. <laughs> we should be getting beaten in, a, in front of an away end that only holds about four people. But, unfortunately, <laughs> we're just going to be shacked up and... Drinking cans and doing things like this, which you know, like you, like Chris was saying, it's a simpler sort of time, and we're all making the best of it. And doing these podcasts is obviously a great relief for us, as much of, as the listener. Like at the point now where we want them to be good, but don't really care if anyone's listening anymore because they're a good yeah. sort of relief for us, as much as anything. Yeah, it's been really nice to get some some positive messages from people as well, just saying that they're really enjoying the kind of the looser format that, that we're employing <laughs> at the moment i mean the, the the weird the weird one with this this particular show is that we are, we actually are going to talk about football um later on in the show we're going to we're going to talk about um the afl situation and also the situation close at home at sunderland as well just just kind of talk about when football is going to come back you know what kind of shape is it going to be in but first part of the show we're going to take a little bit it's not a deep dive, deep dive at all it's more of a scratching the surface of a uh, the second series of Sunderland Till I Die, which dropped two weeks ago on Netflix. I take it that you've both you've both completed the series. 
Yeah, I did yeah. it in a, a one in one day. Yeah, I did it. Did it in one. I was doing. I was cooking as well. I was like kind of all over the house with with my phone watching it. So, <laughs> so did you pretend you were Joyce the chef at any point since you were cooking while watching it? <laughs> well, I've, I've got I've got like a proper chef's apron now. So so yes, Chris? yes. <laughs> Been drinking copious amounts of vodka while you were on as well. <laughs> <laughs> I did it over. Um, I, I had to do it over two days. It was too. Um, it was too agonising to do over one. Yeah. So what, what's what's your kind of what's your initial take from it, Chris? Um, I think like I thought the what made the first one good, or at least um, kind of interesting, was like. The insight it gave into how like the fans and people of the city interact with the football club, I thought that was like quite lacking in this one. I mean, to be honest, like <clears throat> let's be let's be truthful. It's a it comes across a lot as a bit of a vanity exercise for our yeah. departed but not departed executive chair, uh, whatever whatever the hell his role was, executive director. And I just think. Like it is to be fair, it's it's interesting and there's bits that are like your classic car crash television, but I think I don't I, I don't know if you two agree, but I didn't feel like the balance was quite there. I thought like the bits in I think it's like later on in the series in episodes like five and six, which do focus more on the actual football and on the fans, yeah. those felt kind of the most human out out of the entire show. Like um Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, we'll we'll go into a bit more depth, but I felt like there was a there was a lot of scenes where you were like, well, "This probably isn't scripted, but it feels like the people who are in it are acutely aware that there's a camera on them." And mm. there's yeah, just not enough just, football, yeah. is there? Yeah, really. Felt, no, felt not really. Second f- series, didn't it? Yeah, like series one, they tell the story really well through the football. That's that's happening in it, and this one, like you're saying, Chris, a lot of it feels quite scripted and it's just yeah it's fascinating seeing the behind the scenes stuff but it's just there's too much of that and I guess that peaks with the Will Grigg thing as much as you're watching it from behind the sofa because it's so cringy but if you think of the Charlton game for example I was really looking forward to the Charlton sort of um, first game of the season rather not the playoff final I wasn't looking forward to seeing the playoff final again at all (laughs) but I was quite looking forward to seeing that first game of the season because it was such like a rebirth of the club and like the atmosphere going into the game was quite positive and it didn't really get across how emotional Gucci's winner was. You know, if you think back yeah. in the, into Series 1 when the the Fulham game, where we win at home for the first time in a year, they get that across really well. Like there's, yeah. isn't it the bit where like Gareth and uh, Stephen, Stephen's listing the teams that have beaten us or that we failed to beat and Gareth says the clocks have gone back twice. There's nothing like really pulling the the narrative along, I guess, like that. And when Gooch scores, it's just like, yeah, we've won the game and everyone's celebrating. But you don't realise like this team never wins at home in August. Like it doesn't like get those little details in about how much of a big deal this actually is and how, oh, we finally done. We finally got that monkey off our back already in the season. And we've got this new young manager as well as the, the new owners. It just doesn't. Yeah. Get little things like well, not yeah. little things, doesn't get major things like that across I, at all. I think that's a fair point. I think like if you would have watched that episode on its own, and maybe even like the first two or three, you could be forgiven for thinking it was a documentary about Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven rather than some of the FC. And like 
look like I, I get it and I mean I think the thing we have to remember as well is like this isn't the show isn't made for us really it's made for like a wider audience and I can see why they went down that path I, I just wonder whether they went a little bit too far and like without skipping ahead too much but um the Fleetwood game which is obviously like episode five or six like it's towards the end um the the away game when people are furious about what's happened I don't really feel like like you said Rory I don't really feel like just watching the show you you know enough of what's gone before and I, I've got I've got a mate who's a Lincoln fan he was like it kind of like portrays like Southern fans as turning really quickly yeah like, it, it doesn't was, get yeah. across the fact that like we went to Peterborough and chucked that result away yeah like it, it like, can quickly it doesn't have to show those games even it can like list that Sunderland were doing really well and since the Czech trade final they've drew however many games and because everyone I was at the Fleetwood game everyone was fuming after that it was the yeah. most angry I'd been after a game in a while really because we didn't really lose many times that season but like you say Chris you're not really sure why you think oh they've just lost one game and they're going to the playoffs and they're they're all absolutely yeah, fuming thing. and it's like like when in reality it was kind of three months of getting progressively worse three or four months of getting progressively worse and it just like, like I know they've got like a finite amount of time and stuff but um, it does feel like yeah, like you said, Rory. I think they focused a lot more on the off the off the field stuff, which is fine. But then if they show stuff like that, you need a bit more context. Yeah, I think for for me, there wasn't enough focus on the rest of the squad and the the work that that Jack Ross did over that summer. I mean, you can't you can't underestimate the fact that he had barely any players and he had to assemble a whole a whole team in a short amount of time. There was no kind of even like they seemed to go out of the way not to mention the likes of Maguire. There was like there was a bit in the in the Charlton game where Maguire had a chance and it look it sounds like they've cut the commentary just as Barn, uh, Nick Barnes is about to say Maguire. It's, it's almost as if like they're concentrating so hard on the narrative that that this was Luke O'Neill's game for some reason. Um, when in real in reality it wasn't. It had really nothing to do with Luke O'Neill at the time. It was more about Barley Mumba because he was a you know sixteen year old starting his his first game for the club and they, they seemed to have just glossed over that. What what we said at the time. Because it was a, it was a lunchtime kickoff, wasn't it? The Charlton game, and it was a lovely day, and it was we we all went off to a beer festival afterwards, and it was it was just it was a great it was a great day. That the the producers had like kind of a ready made narrative there, as 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 Rory says that was that was the rebirth, that was a kind of like the kickstart of the of the season, and I don't know, I think they fudged it a bit when they, when they didn't really have to because it was all there in front of them, ready yeah. for ready to ready to kind of lay out. I think as well, like I think. Because um, I know like there's been some pieces doing the rounds like this last week about like stuff that got missed out, which I which I understand. But I think like there was so much that went on last season that you would need you'd need like a twenty four part series to get everything in. And because um, one of the things I was thinking like when we talked about like the narrative of the Charlton game, like I thought a really good angle would have been like the Lyle Taylor thing. Because obviously he was like up here and they tried to sign him and then there was a bit of a public kind of falling out and stuff. One side saying one thing, one saying the other. And it would have been, I, th- I think it, like the Luke O'Neill thing, I got the feeling that it was kind of like the Johnny Williams thing from season one where they, they'd like latched onto a player and that yeah. that was going to, no matter what happened, it was going to be focused on them. In, fair, in fairness to O'Neill, I do think he comes across really well across the course yeah, of the Yeah, he does, he does. He's um, yeah. He seems he seems a, a nice lad, like kind of one that that mums would love. 
We already knew that, though. Like, that's not telling us, like, anything particularly yeah. new. But again, like Chris said, like, it's not necessarily for us, is it? I guess with Johnny Williams in the first series, it showed us that, like, fragile side of the footballer. And I don't think we really get much. I don't think there's... And, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily there with 09. Maybe it was, like, you know, he's obviously a different person, probably different personality, but... It went a little bit deeper with Johnny Williams, and it never really done did that with Luke Orne. It Just feels like everything that they did in this series was just for the majority of the time just scratching the surface with things, and it feels a bit. Yeah. Apart from with Donald and Methvin, who there's obviously a lot of, it's just a bit scattered in terms of things like that. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've written down here that there's not enough banter moments. I know we we you know we had eight episodes of the of the first series and it was eminently kind of gifable and quotable and we all came away with like catchphrases straight straight away from it as well hey, and like wh- texting each a- other about characters and stuff and there was there was I think the fans like they focused on in in this series uh, with the greatest respect they're just they're just not they're not they're not the box office ones that you know that the pay the ref was wasn't even wasn't even referenced to by name in the second series. He was just like kind of an incidental. Because yeah, he's called he's called um, Pay the Ref. That's why. Mister PT Ref. But I love how he just pops up and it looks like he's just like filming himself on his phone. And like everyone else yeah. is, they come into like everyone else's house. Like you're saying, Richard, they get like their names on and everything. And the Pay the Ref guys just like popping up randomly. Although they're, they're yeah. in like a tea like tea house tea shop sort of thing with him at one point, aren't they? With him and is that before the yeah, check yeah. trade? I think so. Yeah, with him yeah. and I presume is like his wife. But again, it just like it looks like they've bumped into him by accident. <laughs> <laughs> best best film then. But I mean, we, we all we all know that they did a hell of a lot of filming for series for series two because uh, I mean, the, the podcast was was filmed most weeks, so, and I, I remember seeing cameras all over the place. But yeah, I, I think mean, they've. Sorry, yeah, I was go on, just going to say. I wonder, like, obviously they've only got six episodes compared to to eight this time, and it's taken a lot yeah. longer for it to come out. So it, it does make you wonder, like, what whether there's been something more going on where they've had to like push to get it like yeah get it on for the second series if you know what i mean um like i i do agree though i think uh, to be fair I, I think pete the taxi driver comes across as well as ever yeah I oh do, yeah he's the best did, out of the fans easily i mean richard you've alluded to this but there's like a an almost heartbreaking moment isn't there with him do you know what i'm talking about I can't remember now. But no, like when when a certain episode opens and he's stood somewhere, and you're like, why is why is oh, he there? Yeah, what, yeah, he? yeah. It's at the, at the Brexit rally. I think that's one yeah, of the. I think I, th- I thought it was. I thought it was going to be like a, a he's going to like unzip his jacket uh, to reveal like a, you know, no a deal no deal means no deal or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, that yeah, famous catchphrase. <laughs> but that goes to like show how all over the place it is. Like, why has it got like when it showed him there? I was like, oh, Pete's obviously like a Brexiteer, and then he's like, well, I don't want us, but like we're a Brexit city, and it's like you've just shoehorned that in to get across that Sunderland voted leave. But if you wanted to shoehorn that in, they could have done that in series one. Like it was more, yeah, it happened honest, more recently. Then, yeah, I I think that's like, I would, regardless of like other bits like related to football I think that's the most like frustrating scene 
in the whole show because I mean we've talked I think we've possibly even talked about it on the podcast before I know we've all talked about it amongst ourselves but like someone for whatever reason has held up as like the poster boy of Brexit when it's total bollocks there's like there's like 40 odd places that voted for Brexit the higher yeah. majority than someone did and I think like I don't I don't think most of the series I don't think any other parts of the series are like a lazy narrative but i thought that was and i actually thought it was quite an unfair narrative to kind yeah. of plant on especially when like you say rory and richard like the guy who they're using to kind of like i mean i am i assume they've like said to him oh we need you to go down there and then talk about it, like but he doesn't support it so it just didn't make any real sense i didn't yeah. really understand that bit. like i thought that would be explored a little bit more after that and then maybe then it would be a bit more understandable if like i don't know there was kind of a thread of it throughout that particular episode but it's like the sort of like cold open before the opening credits isn't it and then yeah. it's just never referenced again it does a bit of a similar thing with um the remembrance day a bit which opens yeah, another yeah. episode which again just feels randomly sort of shoehorned in there i don't know if they're trying to like yeah. tell a bit more of the story about the the fan that is like formerly in the forces but again it's folks and it, it doesn't come up again at all so if it feels a bit redundant like what what's it what's it in there for and before like we move on on talking on the fans i totally agree in that they're not particularly box office like you were saying richard um, yeah. But I think it's a bit sort of narrow in the type of fans that focuses on. They're all rough. Well, the we find out it's one of their birthdays, don't we? When he's turning forty, so he's probably yeah. the youngest out of the fans that the focus on. Everyone else is sort of, you know, middle aged, if not like quite a bit older than that. You know, there's the couple where with the Irish fella. There's the other couple, the with the woman with the sort of dark hair. Like I've totally forgotten their names. Sorry. And obviously Pete, the taxi driver as well. And it's just like, could we not have had some younger fans in there? Like, you, you know, you sort of like Daphne's who like go to away games to give like a different perspective on that. Like, I'm saying Daphne's yeah. like in, in, in Deeran sense, by the way. Like, yeah, yeah. it just... Is this you trying to get yourself on? No, because I'm not. I'm trying to get Mickey Loff on. I'm trying to get Mickey Loff on. Yeah, I'm already on, Chris. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, of course. Sorry, yeah. Exactly. Your head's Extreme literally taking over the screen. Taking over the whole screen. Great. But it, like... It feels like we're getting the same perspective of all those fans and they're kind of just blur into one a little bit. That's not like a dig on them particularly. Like I'm sure they're all like, you know, nice people or whatever. But it's just a bit it makes it feel a bit pointless. But to be fair, to counteract that, I think the woman with the the dark hair gives arguably the best line of the series when it's yeah, yeah. it's at Wembley and she says, Why is it never us celebrating? Like, why is that never us? And for all the that faults should... this series might have, that is probably the best thing of summing up being a Sunderland supporter. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. that is literally what should be on the club badge, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, none of none of this Latin shine. Just why is it never us? <laughs> it's great though, and like it sums up well. It sums up going to Wembley as well. Like you have this great weekend, but then at the end of it, it's not you celebrating. And I think the Wembley trips are put over quite well like this scene in the yeah, they are. the scene in the train station at King's Cross like if that was in like a fictional film you would think that was absolutely ridiculous and you'd think nah that never happened especially for the Czech trade trophy but it did they were getting like 
greeted off the train. <laughs> like there were people waiting for them getting off the train. Like there were the Beatles. Yeah. Like it's yeah, it was, it was totally Beatles esque. Like I proper Beatlemania for like Luke Owen yeah. and Grant Ledbetter, <laughs> and like they hadn't they hadn't like won anything yet, and they didn't even win anything. And even if they did, like I say, it would have just been the Checker Trade Trophy. But the shot where it's like following them, like getting on the bus, and the fans are like essentially doing a guard of honour for them and like offering them handshakes and someone like offers them a can and stuff like that. It's brilliant and that does make you think like, God, just imagine if we were like half decent. Imagine if we were just like, all right. I think to be fair on that point, I think one bit that they, like where they do get it across and we did say before that like it's better later on in the series but when they're talking to Pete in um, Covent Garden and he basically talks about like how... He's essentially saying that no matter what, people won't miss this kind of thing, and and I think that that that's probably the bit that gets across, for me anyway, what like certain elements of last season were, like I mean, um, to be fair, like the the checker trade, I don't think until for me personally anyway, I I wasn't nervous before the game because it was just like we're just here to have a no, bit of fun, yeah, we're just here to have a bit of fun, and then like I I was good at it at the end, but nowhere near as good at as I was after the, the Charlton game and I think it I think it probably is testament actually that they do get the end of the series a lot closer to kind of the actual experience I think because that's the first yeah. time I've ever watched it back and like I was I was gutted watching it again like I, I actually found it quite difficult yeah. to watch yeah me too I, I, I just found it as gut-wrenching a defeat as it was in real time and and I wasn't there for full time whistle. I, as soon as the goal went in, me, me and my daughter just just left straight out the exit. Um, and there were people crying going down the stairs, and there were people crying outside the ground. Um, I wasn't crying, but I was, I was the closest I've got in a long while to crying at a football match. And yeah. uh, just watching it back and seeing everyone's reaction and and just how utterly gutted everyone was, and just like the life had just been sucked out of everybody. It was really difficult, and they got that across pretty well. No, I agree. Um, it was, you saw like, I remember walking out the ground and you bump into those people that like, you know and you see that they can't even speak or anything like that, which was, like you're saying, Chris, like totally different in the checker trade. I don't think I particularly was like, right, we need to win this until I first started hearing Portsmouth fans shouting Blue Army and play up Pompey. And I was like, right, we, we need to fucking beat these today, <laughs> which we didn't, but at least we got some kind of revenge in the playoff semi semi-finals but again i don't think it really ramped up the sort of atmosphere going in the playoff semi-final either and the fact that there was the chance to like get one over on portsmouth after the, well, the th- to be trade fair, to be fair though that's like reflective of the reality because if you remember i mean i think one of the more disingenuous bits of the entire show is when it shows um methrin talking about like drumming up in a Drumming up um, the attendance for the playoff semi-final game, and as we all know, that didn't happen. Like they, they yeah. went quiet the week before. And yeah. We all we all know why, and and that, so that that bit was like quite disingenuous. And to to be fair, there's a couple of bits like I mean that would have been a good opportunity to showcase like the fanzines trying to trying to drum stuff up. I thought like the the Boxing Day thing like. There was a whole episode on getting forty six thousand for Boxing Day, which is fair enough, but they completely missed out like the gift of football thing, which was which a was fan's a huge eye. element. Yeah, it was a huge element, yeah. and and that was like, like I mean, obviously they they paint this narrative of like Sunderland people from Sunderland being 
not very well off and kind of like scraping the pennies together and all that sort of thing. So you had this, um, you had this event where literally fans were like helping out other fans and literally giving them a, a Christmas gift kind of, and that wasn't even mentioned. And I, I just thought and it was a fan driven thing. It was quite organic yeah, as well. It, it, it was guy. It was a guy on Twitter, wasn't it? Yeah. Who like who yeah. came up with it, and then the club understandably like leapt on it which is fine like i think they i think they gave him credit at the time so there's nothing wrong with that but and that was that was really strange i mean there's there's a there's an element there's bits of it that make you wonder like how much of a say have certain individuals had in the edit of yeah. this yeah because, that's not bad points because that like the episode is is great like for me personally because I work in marketing and communications myself and it was really interesting to see how how that process came about and what messages they were pushing out and how they were doing it on a strategic level but for the average fan probably not really that interesting I mean it was quite quite a lot of boardroom meeting room stuff where they're where they're just talking through strategy and stuff and it, it's not really I guess, I guess Metzen's behavior like keeps it spicy enough doesn't it like yeah, the fact yeah. that he's so horrible to Sophie is it yeah. Sophie? Is that a name? Who, yeah, that's a name. Who works for the club and like the way he just the bit where he says like someone needs to get me a beer and he's obviously implying that she needs to go and get him a beer, so she does. Yeah. It's just like she should have tipped that out of his head. He's it's just vile, like it's just that horrible corporate like macho like bullying style behaviour, which he clearly believes is what you need to do to get results, and then he wonders why well, no one can stand him. The, yeah, the yeah. thing is, like, I mean, there's been, I think, in fairness, like, a lot of reaction to that has been what my reaction was, which was a, it's a pretty scummy way to talk to anyone, but it's an especially scummy way to talk to someone when you when you know full well that the cameras are on you both. Like, if, okay, like, we can, we can go into who was right, who was wrong and that, but if you're really that dissatisfied, like, just say, I'll speak to you after this, but that... That entire scene at pitch side was done for no other reason than to boost his ego. Yeah. And yeah. And the thing is, he's just like, I mean, my opinions on him are pretty clear anyway. But he's just not a nice bloke. He's not a nice person. That that isn't how. Like I've seen people say, oh, like that's what you need. You need people like kicked into gear, like kind of thing. Well, okay. If if that's the point, then yeah, you kick people into gear. Then you, you bring people in and you build things up. This bloke's this bloke's gone at the first sign of trouble. Yeah. This, this bloke's no longer, I mean, he still makes his mouth go every chance he gets, but he's, he's not, he's not a director at the club anymore. He's not actively involved. That's not management. Basically what he's done in, he's coming, he's shouted at everyone in front of the cameras. He's, I mean, the footage, he, even some of the footage is like edited to suggest like that he's right kind of thing. Like it shows like people rolling their eyes in some of his presentation if he'd said some of the stuff he'd said in that presentation i think i would have rolled my eyes because like it's pathetic yeah. it's your classic oh blue sky let's let's do some blue sky thinking and touch base like no i'll tell you what like let's do something tangible and don't be a dickhead to your staff where you're going i just thought the whole i mean we haven't even talked about the first episode and the edm continues <laughs> scene, but like i just thought i thought the whole um that whole boxing day episode, it, it was quite abhorrent. Like it was just you, the word you used before, or it was vile. Like there's no need for it whatsoever. And I think, like, thankfully, a lot of people have said, "Look, whether they were performing or not, you don't speak to people like that." There's, there's absolutely no need for it. But it's quite clear as well that he's not spending as much time at the club as 
is is being made out. It's making it sound like he's trying to make it sound like he's spending like twelve hours a day there. And he, the bit where he says people are leaving at four fifty nine, and Tony Davidson immediately goes, "They're not Charlie. They're not." Like, because yeah, exactly. he's the bloke who's there all he's the time. The and there, do you know yeah. what? If they're clocking off at the time they're finished, like, so what? Like, people have got lives, Charlie. People like, have, like, kids to pick up or, like, t- like tea to put on for their families. Or, like I say, they've just got a life and we spend half our lives at work travelling to and from it. If they're leaving at five o'clock and, like, that, that horrible culture of, like, oh, you need to, like stay like an hour later or you're not like doing your job and stuff like that it's just no nah, mate it's just bollocks and all of your ventures charlie have failed mate yeah, sorry well, this, but yeah, they have that's so the thing. It, 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 it's clearly like not a practice that's been working for you is it and like you were saying chris he's gone at the first sign of trouble here as well but that's the main thing as well like kind of like people go oh you should be kind of kind of working past five you should be doing this like it's the most like outdated kind of yeah. idea it's not a like i've worked I've worked at places before where people stay after five to look good. It's not productive. Yeah. It's just it's just to carry favour. And to be honest, it's a sign of like bad management that the method actually thinks that that that's the issue there. Like, oh, people are leaving at five o'clock. Like, well, okay, but why don't you have a look at how productive they've been before five o'clock, sort of thing? And like you say, I mean, this is a bloke who like. <laughs> he tells people we need to understand what good looks like. He's been caught seeing we're all unbelievably uneducated in business, yet he started up a newspaper which burned through over ten million quid in seven months and went bust. <laughs> like I, I think, I think there's other people who we can take lectures from, and I don't think it's him. Fully agree. So yeah, it. I, I think the the main takeaway from that is that there's there's. Maybe too much. It, it does feel corporate. It feels like they've had sign off. Um, it it, it kind of makes for a very kind of contrived and for me a less enjoyable experience. Um, it may it might get better with the second view, um, but I'm I'm not I'm not sure. And there's talk of a, of a series three. Um, there's whisperings that they, that they've been filming again for series for a series three. Um, hopefully they they can kind of get the characters right and and, and really really nail what it is to be at, at Sunderland Football Club. No, indeed. Can you still, can um, you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I was waiting for Rory. No, it does. Hopefully they can, if, if you know, if there is to be a, a Series 3, and God, hopefully it's a happy ending as well, and can get back to the sort of root of what made Series one so good like we didn't even get as much like stuff with the you know Joyce the chef at the club and like Leanne the player liaison officer these like good characters who work in there we get like little snippets of them but there's not as much focus on that even when like things are bad at the club which obviously series one was massively about there's still this like warmth and this like heart to the place as well like and and these these are that beating heart we do get a good bit to be fair with um John Cook, the the kit man, when he like says that he always wanted Charlton in the playoff final. He doesn't know why. And narrator, there's not one Charlton in the playoff final. But I don't know. Hopefully, we can <laughs> resume some of that that heart and just what made this first series so good, and why you know, and why they ended up being a, a series two. Why there was a clamour for series two as as much as anything. I think the the main the main thing for me is that. At the same time, Tiger King dropped, and 
I watched that one, which is seven episodes. Watched it back yeah. to back, and I'm on a second lap of it now because I was like, I want to, I want let me back into this because because it's there's so much to pick at, and I, and I mean, it's it's different two different things. You know, you've got a, you know, you've got a, a flamboyant, elegantly dressed, eccentric lead character with a, a oh, that, that that's Joe Exotic, not Charlie Meth. But, <laughs> you know, there's 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 a bit more going on in Tiger King. Um, and I, I wonder what the wider appeal is sometimes for for, for the, especially for this series. I don't know what the wider appeal was. It felt a little bit um, indulgent for fans, but but nothing much going on for for the average, you know, person who's sitting in like Portland or Arizona or something who's who's watching it as a casual. Uh, I don't think it's enough there for them. But the filming for series three, so let's see see what they do with it. I think like yeah. I th- like I mean, I've said it already, but like I think it it feels less about the club and more about the people who've taken over the club, um, and I I think that's like natural in a way because I mean they have granted them an awful lot of access. Um, I mean we literally go into Stuart Donald's home, like we were at the Roger Hotel like the morning before the Charlton game, like we're in the. We're in the we're in the box with them and stuff, so I kind of I do understand that, but I, at the same time, it's hard for me anyway. Like it's hard for me to detach, like the Sunland fan from it and look at it objectively. If you know what I mean, um, yeah. Like like one of the thing, like well, I know there's like people laughing about like kind of meth and like shouting at Wembley kind of thing, but one of the first things that jumped out at me was like how vain do you have to be to be mic'd up for like a cup final and a playoff final and like and i just like to me i'm i I was always even when i thought his time was up i was always like a fairly big fan of like jack ross especially as a person i thought he came across really well i think one of the things that for me comes out of this is like you come away you come away with a bit more of an appreciation of like the kind of circumstances ross was working under like realistically when, like, I mean, it, it happens in the cup final and it happens in the Coventry game where mid-game, kind of, the manager's getting slagged off by his employers. And it's like, real, realistically, he could still be there now. Like, they didn't know that he wasn't going to be in charge of the football club, um, like, when this came out kind of thing. And it's just, it's just not very professional way of approaching things. It's also full of rubbish because, like, I mean, I think it was Tom Walsh pointed out to us, but Methvin says, like, oh, I'm, none of the teams I've ever supported. First of all, how many teams has this bloke supported? But he goes, none of the teams I've ever supported have conceded five at home, and they literally got beat 7-0 off Wigan, like, a year before. And who scored a hat-trick? <laughs> <laughs> and it's Probably just... son, Will Grigg, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, we haven't really discussed him, have we? No, or Madger. The whole striker yeah. sort of... Drama. So they're, they're the kind of the, the magic things. The magic is like situation is huge in those those first three episodes, isn't it? It's just like that dominates. I don't think it it dominated the the narrative in in reality that that much until until December, um, when it was very much Willy Wonty, and there was lots of kind of ultimatums. It was a ridiculous ultimatum from from Methven that wasn't referenced at all in the no. documentary. That 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 did kind of disrupt the the whole course of things. I thought he come across, yeah. came across really well, Josh Madger. Like, yeah, he did. obviously very young lad. Like, what was he nineteen during that yeah. season? And you know, we didn't expect him to be leading the line. And when it turned out that he would be due to the injury 
to, to Charlie Wigan. The fact that another striker hadn't really came in, we didn't expect him to be as good as he was. And he comes across quite like sweet and quite like humble in like when shows him going to turn on the Christmas lights and he's like, do I have to say anything? And they want him to and he's like, no, no, no. And he, he quite... Obviously, he's not struggling with the weight of expectation because like, he was fantastic on the pitch, but the way he sort of... He's obviously not expecting to be this like massive figure because even though Sunderland are in League One, if the team are doing well and you're the star striker, you're going to be... You're going to have all this like weight on your like this sort of expectation on your shoulders, and you're going to you are going to be a superstar for a lot of people because the club still has this massive fan base, and you can tell he's kind of doesn't know like not know how to handle it, like because like I say his performances were so good, but he's clearly a little bit sort of overwhelmed by it, and when you've got that transfer speculation going on as well, like fair enough from wanting to leave it to his agent because for a young lad that's like a lot to deal with as well and if he was by far our best player which he was if we kept him we would have been promoted and his wages comparatively to some weren't what they should have been and if offers weren't as good as they should have been no wonder he we ended up losing him like it would have I know it's easy to say this in hindsight but it would have been financially it would have been much better for us to have lost him for nothing in the summer than have just got 1.5 million for him in january because we'd have been a championship we'd have been we'd have been talking about a championship club now rather than a league 1 club if he'd stayed yeah and the fact that he was still scoring goals throughout that time as well shows that he was a professional character so even if he didn't really want to be there and if he thought well it's okay i'm going to get a move somewhere you know somewhere in europe because that was his that was his agent's um, modus operandi to get to get players a move into in Europe. I, was was he um was he uh, Sancho's agent? Yeah, as well? he was. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, that that's his track record, and so you fully expect him to do that in the summer. But I think had we had Josh Madger for the rest of that season, he would have given as good as he'd given in the first half of the season. I don't think that's yeah, any doubt. I agree. I, I think like one of the things that I mean, it annoyed me at the time, and it's annoyed me like since since this came out and obviously the subject's really its head again, is this idea that I down tools he was off. I mean the the even in the the even in the documentary try to make it out like he's just gone, right? I'm going, I'm gone, you're never seeing me again, I've packed my bags and all that and we had no choice in the matter. We absolutely did have a choice in the matter. I mean Jack Ross came out afterwards and said the magic came back to the academy and gave like flowers and gifts to kind of like the staff there like that's not the sign of someone who's like up sticks and said i'm not coming back again yeah. like and i i just thought again had editorial questions because like at the end of the day right like, like look i think in this one i think there's probably blame on both sides as to the why it panned out the way it did but he's a 19 year old kid and i feel like he gets kind of hung out to dry like and i think yeah. speaking of scripted um, um, scenes. Did did anyone else feel like you know that scene with Richard Hill, Neil Fox, and Stuart Donald? In I think they're in like a hotel, like kind of bar, yeah. and they're talking about magic. That just felt so kind of like okay, all this has happened. Let's like kind of go back and like reenact it or whatever. And I was just like, like to be honest, both that and the magic thing, like whatever mine or other people's other opinions of like this ownership it just showed them up as like 
massively out of the depth. Like they came in. Well, they ch- that sorry, go that on. context's not provided at all. That context is not provided at all. That they've got no experience of running a club of this stature in in you know in the top in the in the top. You know, spent most of the their time in the top two divisions in the league and have to deal with these players, have to deal with these types of agents as well. They will never have dealt with an agent as, as kind of as no. big time as that. It also, I I could be wrong here because I know that like in the very first episode they like show um, the um, the interview that they did at BBC Radio Newcastle and I think it does mention Charlie's famous the piss take party stops here line. But I'm sure, yeah. like they were like really heavily like going in on agents all summer, and I don't really think it gets that across because essentially what happened was like in the summer they were given at the big end, but the ball was like always in their court. Like and Dong and Jilabodji forgot, well, refused to turn up to training. Like so, the ball was always in the club's court on that one, and this was the first time where like the other side of the table were like really holding the cards. Oh, sorry, the first time that was like really public, and they got they got like completely outmaneuvered, like. Like, I know, obviously, there's been that article come out in the mail this week, which looks like it's been fed there from presumably either Madge's agent or someone on that side of things. But, like, they don't really have a reason. Like, they won. They they, they came off the better in that exchange. He's now, he's in France. He's scoring goals. He's on more money. Like, the agent... It's not been presu- a failed move, has it? Well, exactly. That's, um, whereas, like, this is the thing. Like, you look at us, and we're, we're like... Is that my, that's my heat coming up. Um, we're, <laughs> I didn't know what the noise was. Yeah, but we're like what we're seventh in in League One. We don't really look like going up. And um, I think there's just dropped off some bacon sarnies here, so this is great. But mm, yeah, no, I just think um, Chris is having a really good good Friday. Know. Yeah, this is class. Eating on, oh, eating on at nine o'clock in the morning. Can, actually, can I just say they're not vegan? They're vegan sausages because it's Good Friday, and that's good. There's that thing. So. If if anybody's out there screaming at the <laughs> podcast provider right now, I just spoke there. Um, but yeah, no, I mean they they just get completely outmaneuvered, and like I mean, I'll let somebody else talk about the Greek thing, but that is it's just dreadful. And I think the the problem is it does have like kind of repercussions because like the way they've gone about the business, it's just not befitting like this big club that we all believe that we are. And and I think um, yeah, I mean it's. I think having watched this, I know some, a lot of people are seeing, like, see Stuart Donald comes out with a lot more credit. To me, I can see why the football club is where it is at the minute, based on um, various scenes in this. Yeah, and no, no scene sums it up yeah. better than. The Will Grigg one. It's it's hard to know what to say about the Will Grigg one because it's just so. It's such a car crash. Everyone's telling him not to spend that much money on him. Jack Ross tells him he's not worth that. Richard Hill, to be fair to him, is save the club. Well, he didn't. He, that was his opportunity to save the club. Yeah, <laughs> did have a glaring opportunity there. Yeah, exactly. He well, he's trying now. To be fair, he, he does say he like, try. don't spend more money on him. But then. The why end, does he like, hug him? Exactly. Why does he hug him at the end? They're, they're like, diving on each other like they've actually won something. It's like. No, you both know you've massively overpaid it. And then he's joking on about how he can't afford to pay the pizza delivery guy. And it's just like, let's not rewrite write, rewrite history too much. I wanted him. I was delighted when he came in. I thought he was going to be firing us to, you know, to promotion or whatever. But when you look at it through that lens, 
and especially when Ross is saying like, look, we'll just we'll we'll get on without him. It's just oh god, like it's just so it's so bad. Like it, oh, like what, yeah. like you're watching just like Stuart. What are you doing? Like it's, you, it, it just shows how out of his depth he is. Yeah, but it's like the the thing that really that I find annoying about it is, is it's exactly what we were told wouldn't be happening anymore. Like we were told, like we all know the reason this football club's in the position it was in and the position it's largely still in. Uh, without like a hundred not million pound worth of debt is because we kept like spending stupid amounts of money on footballers who either we hadn't vetted properly or who just weren't good enough and look I, I agree Rory like at the time like I mean I think at the time a lot of people said look the fee's ridiculous and this might have been a mistake but they said in terms of the player himself like yeah great okay we've signed the closest thing you can to guarantee goals but it was <laughs> Looking like this, this is definitely with hindsight. But somebody at the football club should have been saying, "Well, hang on a minute, this guy's like a poacher, and we don't really create many chances." Yeah. Like, even in you could have just watched, you could have said to Netflix, "Can you just show us Madge's goals, please?" Because the vast majority of his they're all, yeah, they're, he, all, they're all self-made goals with his back to goal mostly on the half. Yeah, time, they are. Which, yeah, like which, that was the, the other thing yeah. that came across was just how good he was for the league kind of thing. But like, well, you see, yeah. Madge's, you see that goal Madge scored against Barnsley, which was a fantastic a great goal. Yeah, yeah. But, Briggs but not doing that for you. No, that, that's a thing. And like, but that was like a theme of the first half of the season. We didn't create a lot of chances in the box, certainly not for the centre forward. So it's like, what we've done is we've gone, we've we've got rid of Madger, um, prime. Well, at least partially for financial reasons, and then we've just gone and blown it out the water by chucking like three million. I mean, it's never going to rise to four, is it? Um, on on a bloke who's like 27 year old he's got no reserve value and he doesn't fit in the team and it's just like it was just it's all the mistakes we're told wouldn't happen but the difference is and they obviously they talk about this in the show despite what they've said since the difference is at least like when the last bloke was doing it he could afford it whereas now everything points to like since that day we've been like oh crap we don't have I mean, he says it. He says, like, despite like what they've told us for like over a year, they actually say to a film crew, "Yeah, we're not sure if we've got the money to see this through." And it's just like, it. I think that that is like where I struggle with this idea of like the genuineness and the honesty of it all. It's like, well, yeah, in the show, if you just watch the show on its own, okay, yeah, the like, well, at least one of them comes across as a nice, genuine bloke. But line that up against what fans were told at the exact same point in time and it's a very different story agreed i think we've uh, i think we've covered pretty much everything on on that series now unless has rory got anything else i just want to forget about that season now <laughs> well then will, will either of you go back and watch it again do you think no and i know we did the no. we did the deep dive to season two which meant re-watching that one but i'd already re-watched at least a few episodes from season one anyway I can't imagine I'll be doing that with, with Series 2, which we win more games in, go to Wembley twice. That should be really the series that you would want to relive at least aspects of. Yeah, Whereas yeah. because Series 1 was put together so much better, I would recommend people watch that before watching Series 2. And you've got the banter moments in Series 1. You've got the Freddos, you've got Married Man with Six Kids. None, <laughs> none, none, none of that in Series 2. I think as well, Like I think Season 1, like... 
no matter what's gone on since, it did kind of it went when it happened and when it came out, it was like a kind of hopeful ending. You were like, oh, like there's going to be a new dawn, and it's just been the same old shit. <laughs> so it's like like the like the end of like season two is just miserable. It's like it's like um. I don't know. It's like it's like the end of a film where like a relative gets put down or something. You're just like, oh shit. Yeah. And then and you just because we all watched, we all watched series one knowing that because it came out like halfway through last season where we were where we were doing all right. It, it felt like you know it ended on a high point and there's a little bit of a message of hope and and, and that things will get better, but. There's not not so much this time. We, you know, we we know where we are now. True to form, they haven't gotten better. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's like one of those things where it fades to black, and then it says like six months later they they turned off the life support machine and, <laughs> and, and, passed, and passed away. But Great. yeah, it's if you haven't seen it yet, and you probably don't need to now because we've just ruined everything. We've just ruined for you. every scene. You well, you welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we we've watched this, so you don't have to. <laughs> Okay, so um, after after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about actual football, uh, including furloughs, um, the AFL's ridiculous fifty-six day plan of, to finish the season. Um, so join us after the break. Welcome back to the Wise Men Say podcast. As always, we're, we're, we're brought to you in in partnership with uh, from the Terrace. At the moment, they're not producing stuff um, due to the due to the coronavirus but they're working on new stuff ready for ready for reopening so if you check out the social media they've got a few new kind of products that they're, that they're trying out so get that bookmarked and when they open again we'll uh, we'll all go to the match looking mint so speaking of going to the match that's something that the AFL are, are touting as a real possibility not actually us going to the match because the games <laughs> which they're planning to play inside 56 days including the playoffs and there's a real prospect that these games are going to be played behind closed doors so, so I'll throw this open to to the rest of the group. What, what what's your views on that, Rory? I just think there are more important things to be focusing on. If you know, I'd rather wait until everything else is sorted before football comes back. I know there's the argument that you know, even if they're behind closed doors and we can watch them, it's a bit of a distraction. But to be honest, I think the way <laughs> the way everything's going on in the world right now, that's that's a distraction. I'm not really going to be focused on football in the same way or the same level of excitement. It'll just be something that's kind of there if it comes back in this guise. And it just seems a bit stupid to be thinking about that. And I know the AFL need to be coming up with contingency plans and trying to finish the current season. I get that, but it's just not really from my mind in my mind anymore. Like the first week of like football you know, not being around you at the current situation was a bit jarring and you were missing it. But now I'm just, I'm missing the social side of it, yeah, and like going to the pub with like family and friends and stuff like that. But I'm not missing particularly the actual football. I, I, I wonder if that's because of like, you know, we're not even in the playoff place at the minute. I do wonder if I'd be a bit more cynical about it if we were, say, like top of the league by 10 points and running away with that I'd be like shit we better get this season finished and get, and get out of the division but I don't think I would be I think like I'm saying there's just too many more things that need sorting you know when people are dying like every day and the death rate keeps going up and hopefully that's going to flatten soon 
I don't, I can't really think about, oh, is Phil Parkinson just going to name the same starting 11 again? Is Charlie <laughs> White going to like yeah. fail to hold the ball up? And like, no, there's the, I know football is the most important of the non-important things, but that applies to when things are a bit more normal, not when <laughs> there's a pandemic going on. Yeah, it would seem really out of place. I mean, because I, I, I've, obviously looking on social media quite a lot because I've got time to do so uh, thanks to furlough and just look at, looking at the kind of the, the, the feed you, you get all of this all of this chat about coronavirus the graphs the, the, the you know the curve flattening the curve all of the information all the public guidance that you see and then you kind of see the odd tweet about you know Manchester United transfer news or football will start again soon it just seems really out of place and it just doesn't it seems to be completely uh I know it's out out of out of kilter with with what I think, but surely the average fan isn't worrying about Liverpool's chances of winning the title because, as as we've said before, football has been paused. It's not been stopped. It's there. It's waiting for us. It'll be ready when we come back. Nothing's going to change. Yeah, there's going to be some weird kind of in, in inconsistencies that a lot of teams will be playing in different kits to what they start the season in. And that's <laughs> that's great for pub quizzes in ten ten years time. But for now, it's just this is this is the new normal. You yeah, know, there's. There's a hunger to get the season back, but there's also a hunger for like lives to be saved and for this kind of crisis to to see its way through. And I don't think you know running running it like rushing back to get football started. I don't think it's a great idea. Yeah. Did anyone see um, or hear rather uh, Sadio Mane on? I think it was yesterday. He was on Talk Sport, which somehow with no sport to talk about has actually become more tolerable. <laughs> But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit like wise men say, isn't it? <laughs> but he basically said, um, I know he's being diplomatic and whatever, but he basically said, like, look, if if the season gets voided, if it has to start again, like, so be it kind of thing. Like, there's more important things in the world. And I get why there's coverage of it. I get, like, I mean, like, The Athletic. I mean, God, they, they, they picked the right year to launch, didn't they? <laughs> Nothing yeah. to talk about. Um, but I get why there's coverage and... and to be fair, I get why there is a focus on um, the money side of things because, like, this is like a kind of a kind of uh, a cliff edge that's been coming anyway, and it's just been accelerated by all this. So I do get that, but I agree. Like, I mean, today I didn't wake up and think, "Oh God, I wish I wish we were playing AFC Wimbledon today." <laughs> like, I just. Like it's it's just become a fact of life that like yeah. it's sad that I, it's sad that we're not, but it's not the biggest tragedy, is it? But no, exactly. I mean, like I know, like yeah. I think I don't know whether you two did, but I know, like Gareth, for example, had tickets for like the Euros, and like I had some tickets for the Euros yes, this summer, yeah. and like it's shit, yeah. But like, am I am I like distraught? Am I really upset? Like, no, because in the grand scheme of things, not being able to go to a football match is really like quite minor on the list of exactly. world problems at the minute, and. Um, like, like I think I, I find it a bit daft, and I, I know you're gonna go on this, Richard. But like, when they're talking about like setting dates for like things getting started again, how how can they when the government can't tell us when normal life's gonna start going back? Sorry, normal life's gonna start returning. How on earth can like clubs talk about like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna start training on this day, and we're gonna start playing games on that day, and it's just it's quite like unsavory like i know they've got to think about it and i know like there's the business element to it but it's just it's not 
it's not what people need to hear. It's not, and it, and it comes across as like one of the big slights on like football. And um, one of the reasons, like the government lazily turned around last week and said footballers should be um, donating the wages, despite the fact there's inter- there's a significant section of society that can afford it more. Um, it's because like football seen as out of touch, and I think having these sorts of conversations in full view just like adds to that. Like it doesn't it yeah. doesn't help. One thing I will say is actually, um, I think actually football players have come across really well. Um, during yeah, all totally. this, oh, it's, it's the owners of the clubs that are actually like not doing themselves any favors. Um, football players, I'm sorry, I mean Jordan Henderson. Um, I think I think it is completely fair that we retain like a right to like call him one of ours, um, just because people people like him, people like, I saw, I think Danny Rose donated something to like the NHS in Doncaster because that's where yeah where he's from. He donated like something like. Was it nineteen grand and 19 like a, grand, a, a, yeah, and like a load of well. load of pizzas as well? Like. Yeah, and little little things and like the, that. The Murphy twins down at Norwich, I, I do. Uh, they're volunteering. They're doing yeah, like, uh, I saw trips, that. To, oh, wow. trips to the shops and they're doing like deliveries to of prescriptions and stuff to people's doors. So they're like really getting involved. Yeah, I think, as as we've said across society, you find out who the good people are in these in these times, um, and you also find out who the who the not so good people are. Um, well, I and, think, and and a lot of us will make that choice when everything's back open as as to where to spend our money. I think uh, a lot of people aren't showing themselves in a good light, but don't go after footballers because it, it it's it it does get to me that there are as as Chris has said there are many other people who can afford and they're not being targeted. Well, it yeah. just you know, there's fifty fifty six billionaires in the country that that could just wipe out the NHS deficit in, in, in one fell swoop and not even notice that they've done it. You know, it's 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 a coffee to them. Exactly. And that's why, you know, Matt Hancock going after the footballers, you know why he is. It's an easy target. Like he could yeah. he could go after, like you're saying, Richard, billionaires like that who could like, you know, easily afford to pay their staff even if, you know, they're not able to work at the moment, or could give money to the NHS by, you know, just paying their taxes because the NHS isn't a charity. The fact that the footballers, you know, it's brilliant that but, footballers have done this, but it shouldn't have to be the case. And the fact that Matt Hancock has gone after them, it's just disgusting and like, like I say, an easy target. And the thing as well is you, you raise a good point there, though, Rory, like about like, paying taxes and stuff. One of the reasons like football players and this it's hard to get the cut through because everybody just shouts on. But like one of the reasons football players have been reluctant to like just go, okay, like not have a pay is because they pay so much in tax yeah. anyway that yeah. they, they don't have any faith that if they do get the pay, that it's not just going to go in the owner's pocket kind mm-hmm. of thing. And like, yeah, no, I fully agree. I, I thought it was just a cheap shot. I mean, he's, he's, He's a second-rate idiot anyway, so I didn't really expect much better from him. But, like, I think um, not just, like, in terms of players, but, like, I think one fan base, actually, that I think has come out of this really well is Liverpool's because I think, like, it's it's really easy to kind of just turn a blind eye and defend anything your football club does. But they were actually, like, when Liverpool announced that they were putting the non-playing stuff on furlough, um when they made like I think it was like a hundred million pound profit last year and that their fans were like really yeah. vehemently against it. And I think that's commendable. Like I think um it could have been very easy for them and there were probably plenty that did who just go, Well, yeah, like why why shouldn't we why shouldn't we do this and that? But actually they've turned around and gone, Well, there's a moral argument here and it's actually it's pushed the club 
They're into... one of the few fan bases, to be fair, in the country that consistently have that as but well. But they did that. They did that for the the seventy seven pound ticket thing, didn't they? Because that was against us. Yeah. Under, uh, under Allardyce, in when we were wearing the top that Rory is wearing right now. Yes, correct. Um, and yeah, and I and I think like look, I mean, there's there's a kind of historic kind of let's laugh at Liverpool sort of thing and like the fans get on our nerves or whatever but actually like I, I think they've come across really well and I think it's also I mean um Richard you said it there like we've seen like some people's like kind of true characters come out and this this isn't a slight on uh, Newcastle fans at all but it's quite telling that absolutely no one was surprised that um that Newcastle furloughed than um, the non-playing staff like there's been there's, there hasn't been like a register of kind of outcry because that's exactly what we expect from that bloke and that's that's yeah. that's not a criticism of Newcastle fans because they know for a fact that if they were to shout and scream it's not going to make any difference but I think it's um, <clears throat> you're right like there's a lot of like individuals who are showing themselves up and the hope is that when this all gets back to normal kind of um, we don't provide them with our custom as much but i'm not sure that'll happen you'd hope that people would kind of see that and think well that's that's reputationally damaged them for life i'm not i'm not going to go back there yeah um you know hopefully there'll be some pubs that develop an, an app i'm not going to name any names of the pubs but if, if another pub chain can develop an app as as, as useful as the, the one that's gone before that would be great because you know that that's going to revolutionize people's behaviors <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really frustrating that within hours of the lockdown being announced, you saw certain brands trying to get around it, just being generally slippy characters. And and then the next day when, when they decided that they would close down, they started ramping up the price of fitness active, uh, fitness equipment. Just little things like that. People will remember. People, you know, people will remember this. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the the, the worst part of it all is that it, it's in no way surprising. Um, I like I, what I would like to think. Um, one of the upsides from this whole crisis is is that people don't because I still think like not just in this country like across the world, people kind of venerate people who've got wealth and like see oh they must be they must have done something to deserve that and that actually a lot. Look in, at the document we've just been talking about. Well, exactly, and like. I'm not going to even see in a majority of cases, but there's plenty of cases where people have become wealthy people just by being shitbags. And we're seeing like quite a few of them on show now. And I would like to think that it kind of invokes like a, a, a rethink of like how, whether we put these people on a pedestal or not, whether it will, I, I'm pretty skeptical, but um, I think going back to like talking about football, um, yeah, I think it it has shown that, especially in, especially in the Premier League, like as if we didn't know already, but like the people who own a lot of these clubs are so far out of touch with what, yeah, like totally. with with the people who has historically follow the game sort of thing, and it's um, I don't want to use the words like a reckoning, but I, I'm struggling to think of anything else. It, it is it it does feel like a really kind of crucial a watershed point. moment yeah yeah i think that's the best way to put it. it it does feel like that and um i know we're kind of we don't really give it we don't really care about when football is going to come back at this point in time but it will be interesting to see what transpires over the next couple of months do you think we'll get reality of the... sorry richard go on rory no go on i was just going to say i was thinking about this yesterday because obviously people 
by the time football does come back, there'll be a big hunger for it. Like you get like just sort of when there's been a close season. But obviously a lot of people have been affected financially by the situation. You know, people are on either less pay or people have lost jobs or people aren't able to get jobs at the minute. I'm wondering, are we going to see a boost in crowds when football comes back or is there going to be the opposite where people have had to prioritise a lot of expense so there isn't an ability for, you know, for a lot of people to go to games and, oh, you know, we're talking about companies sort of exploiting the situation, you know, when the lockdown first came in. Football could have a, you know, especially for community clubs, could have a vital role to play in sort of boosting people's morale by the time we get out of this and games are back and people are going to stadiums again and you know I know clubs especially at the level we're at need to make money but I think would go a long way with a lot of people if that first game had you know maybe reduced ticket prices if there was big sort of community initiatives to make it a, a celebration of football being back and sort of life coming coming back to normal again for a lot of people because that will that will be an issue like we could think quite easily like oh yeah everyone's going to want to go to football again but there's the reality of that and goes back to what you were saying Chris about owners you know being potentially out of touch like they need to be looking at what the majority of ordinary supporters yeah will have been through in this time I think um like I imagine we'll come on to like sudden and specific in a minute anyway but I think to be fair um obviously we've like push back the kind of season ticket deadline and like when the first direct debit was meant to come out i think the deadline was meant to be yesterday thursday and the first direct debit was meant to come out in on the first of may and they pushed that back a month and they've said they're going to reassess it each month kind of thing and while i'm not really sure they could have done much else without there being outcry i think it's still kind of worthy of saying that that was the right thing to do absolutely um i mean i think we've already mentioned our friends up the road but i'm pretty sure there was a story doing the rounds that they were taking money out of people's accounts for like next season season card already which is just how how can you justify that when nobody has any we don't even know if next season's going to go ahead like we don't know yeah. like what what happens yeah. if we finish this season and then we just go right we've already got a couple of months left like we'll just write it off and we'll start again like in 2021 20, 22 sort of thing um so i thought from like a southern perspective i think the fact that they've done that um i think they, they had to in a way both because they're gonna they would lose I think they would definitely lose people if they hadn't, like and people wouldn't be able to afford it. But I think fair play that they have actually gone and done that. Um but it'll be interesting. I think I like I like what you're saying, Rory, but I'm probably being a bit cynical in that I just think especially at our level, clubs are gonna be getting to the end of this and really struggling financially. No, I, yeah. d- I, I, I don't agree. know. I don't know that there's going to be... It, it, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because, like, I mean, even in our group of, like, us who do the podcast, we've got, like, a really, like, varied range of how people have been affected by this. Like, and it's... I, I don't know, like, what, what is the makeup of, like, football crowds across the country, how the, how they've yeah. been affected. Um, it, it's too too difficult to, to guess at, really. But I do think... Um, I, my personal opinion is I think there'll be like unbelievable kind of like fervor for it, but it depends. The economic circumstances are going to really like temper that. Um, we might have a lot more parasites in the pubs. Put it that way. <laughs> I think the one thing we can say about our, our fan base is that 
they even even in financially difficult times they do make a, a judgment call to prioritize the club and you know everyone's got their own individual circumstances I, you know sometimes I can't justify spending like 50 quid on tickets for the family to go to the match but other people can and they, they will follow they you know they'll still follow us they'll they'll get there by hook or by crook if it means that they don't pay the electric bill that's you know so be it but they will well, still to follow be, um, to be honest we we spoke it's, about it's, the, it's important oh, it's important that we that we don't as a club we don't rinse that because that is going to be one of the only revenue streams for the club going forward you know it is now gate receipts are a huge revenue stream in the past it was tv money we don't have to we don't have that to, to contend with now so it's important that the club don't go on a sales pitch too much um just trying to kind of exploit those those fans that will spend a large amount of money on the club more than probably do their own their own family um it's important that that they get the perspective right at this time yeah there's like um i know we've when we talked about the netflix documentary and um we mentioned um the gift of football thing there would be worse ideas than trying to get that going again once this all gets back to normal like if people who if people who um have I mean, some people, uh, some people will benefit from this, like in a in a sense, in that they'll be able to work from home and they won't have all the assorted costs of getting to and from work and whatever kind of thing. Um, this might be a bit of a like fantasy idea, but could a gift of football thing work again when football starts up? Like, just because it's not Christmas doesn't mean that like people's need isn't greater and like people's. Um, might be Christmas by the time football comes back. Well, Chris. yeah, it might, it might well be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. To be fair, they've said, haven't they? Like the Bundesliga, they're not expecting fans back in the ground until the new year. So, um, I think, I mean, I, I think the the primary concern for a lot of clubs, and depending on how long this goes on, and what kind, of, if any factors change, like I would include us in this, is like, are they still going to have a football club? at the end of this because like we know like so many clubs live like hand to mouth like we know like I think it was like Macclesfield and Southend even before this kicked off have really struggled to to pay people this year um, yeah. I mean Andy Holt like Ackerman's guy who whatever whatever people think of him he does he does run it sensibly he, I think he basically came out yesterday and said like the guys at Bolton might as well just Pack, pack up now. I'm pretty sure he said something along those lines because he's saying like it's going to yeah, be yeah, such such a diet, which is an awful thing. To he obviously doesn't mean it maliciously. It's an awful thing to have to be said. And um, I think like our when this first started, like I was talking to some people and we were saying like it it felt like kind of really doomsday to be like that we'll see four divisions reduced to three. But I honestly, depending on how long this goes on, and depending on like whether there's like a willingness to work together or not i honestly don't think that's like a unrealistic scenario for the amount of clubs that could go to the wall i mean there was a thing in the mail the other day about like the championship clubs are, are talking about collectively going into administration so that they can rip up every everyone's contract and start again on like lower wages kind of and that's just like absolutely mental but it, it's kind of it's like what you were saying about that cliff edge though chris like yeah this yeah, is, this is, is becoming like a reckoning isn't it like in in well not even indirectly but we didn't expect it but is this gonna pierce the bubble to an extent and you've i guess you have to hope that people do work together you know that we've obviously had the money come down 
from the Premier League, what was it, 125 million to be spread between the clubs in the EFL. And we've had like, in the summer, we did have a big wake up call and the fact that, you know, Bury no longer exist and Bolton, like you were saying, could still go out of business, but very nearly did in the summer. And I guess that becomes even more of a stark reality now. And hopefully those with the money in the game look at that. And it means, sadly, I guess it means Bury act as a bit of a martyr in that sense and yeah. it becomes, oh God, this is going to happen. This That's, you know, obviously but, it could have happened with many clubs anyway, but this is accelerating it and they're big community things as well. Like imagine if when football does finally come back, there's a town, there's, you know, a few towns that don't even have that, like the, the effect yeah. that's going to have on communities and people's, people's mental health when they're already coming out of like really difficult times if they can't even go and watch their local team. Like these things need to be considered we're seeing community spirit come out really well in a lot of aspects you know as you were saying Richard we're going to remember the people who've acted well in these times and if football clubs are a big beacon of communities especially in a town like Sunderland and if this is going to affect those then you know those with the money in the game do need to be doing they do need to be doing everything that they can you know clubs like Liverpool made 100 million pounds worth of profit and the Premier League's got all that money swilling around. I know they're worried about TV deals and whatever, but it needs to be levelled out. And in these clubs at the bottom where it means everything in those towns, they've got to be protected. But the thing is as well, you mentioned like Bury there and like Bury being a martyr. Like that even that didn't change like people's like it didn't change like the kind of um I suppose, like, the, the limits to, like, bad people taking over football. I mean, look at the situation at Charlton. Like, the, they they were, like, they were all cock-a-hoop. They were delighted. They got rid of a bloke who was, like, a toxic influence for them. And then it sounds like, anyway, if, if you believe one side of the story, that the guys who they've got in are no better, and they were still, they were allowed to take over by the EFL after what happened with Bury. Like, I mean... I think we can talk about our own situation about how the club was taken over, which we won't go into in any great depth, but it was very contentious what was done here. It's very contentious what was done at Huddersfield, as has come out recently. Like, And like, I think if this doesn't, if this crisis doesn't like encourage the governing bodies and whomever else to kind of think, are we going to get a hold on this? Like nothing ever will. And I think, unfortunately, um, I think as much as I, I do think we'll, we'll get to a point where they start thinking, OK, look, we really do need to start saving clubs here. I think there will be a few who go just because, like like we've said three times now, it was on a cliff. It, we were heading towards a cliff edge anyway. And there's going to be some that, that, that don't stay, stay afloat. And um, it, it's horrible. It, it's awful, really. I mean, like, what would... I know we're saying at the minute we're not really bothered about not going to the match, but we all talk to each other. We all know each other through the football. Like we're all good mates through that, and we all we all keeping each other sane, doing stuff like this and chatting about the football. And hopefully, people who are listening haven't fallen asleep at this little monologue yet. <laughs> but but like, what what would we do without it? Like it it would be it especially like where we're from. It's 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 a part of life. It's a massive part of life. It's one of the things that makes something like an attractive proposition because God knows the football team hasn't for years. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting and I, it would 
there were, there are far more important things in life than football. But Rory, you said it best earlier when you said um, it's the most important of the least of the non-important things, and um, hopefully they can like figure out a way. But I'm quite cynical. I think we'll see a few teams go. Uh, the the trouble with with football is that it it forgets it forgets quite quickly those clubs yeah. that 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 go to the wall. You know, you've, there's a list of clubs that have gone disappeared out of out of existence. You know, you got Darlington, you've got Aldershot, you had Accrington Stanley first time around. Um, you know, the, the clubs that just disappear from view and they come back un, under under new guises. But but it's towns when towns lose football clubs when you know when when you've got a community that that assembles around a club and it's I said the other day football's an anchor. You know, it's 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 the it's the kind of constant that runs through people's lives, and it's it's a, it's a release. It's something to do in the weekend. It's something to to get passionate about when when there's not much to get passionate about in an, in an area, and we can't we can't lose sight of that. And hopefully, and uh, and this is a big hope that a football collectively can kind of protect itself and the clubs yeah. that that sit within that within that pyramid. Um, there's so much money at the top of the pyramid and so little money at the bottom of the pyramid that this needs to act as some kind of wake up that that it can't go on. You know, we can't have clubs running being run so uns- unsustainably. Yeah. You know, you get all these clubs in the in the championship that are, that are in huge amounts of debt. Admittedly, that they're in debt to their owners and it's interest free loans, but that's not the point. Those owners can you know, ship off if they wanted to. Well, that's a, it's sorry, it's yeah. really important. It's just it's just really important that the money that drip that floods into the top of the game needs to needs to trickle down and drip into the, the bottom of the game as well so that the Accringtons and the Macclesfields and the South Ends are just as well protected as as the Liverpools, the Man Cities and the Manchester United. Yeah, I, and I think like you've hit on a really good point there, like especially like clubs in the championship. Like part of the reason football's gonna struggle through this is that when people see that like clubs like Redden Redden I think like their wage bill is it's either more than double or nearly double the amount they take in in a single year. So that's before you take into account any of like the expenditure of running the ground and the training ground and whatever else. And if that was any other business, people would say, well, you deserve exactly what you get. Like, why, what the hell are you playing at kind of thing? And that's where football is going to struggle to kind of carry much sort of favour, if you know what I mean. From like, like I mean, we've already discussed like Matt Hancock's like... Um, um, comments last week that the problem with those comments was they were directed at the wrong people in football they should have been directed at the people who were literally just like they're literally gambling their club's existence on their own kind of whim if you know what I mean and yeah. um, <clears throat> and I think I think that's going to be a big hurdle for like football clubs to clear because look there's going to be there's a there's a hell of a lot of um people affected by this there's a hell of a lot of businesses going to be affected by this and i i don't think football clubs are going to be very far up the pile i mean we've, we've seen the uh, the debates over like furlough and stuff and people saying football clubs are not what this was for or certain football clubs are not what this was for and um i think it, it's gonna like in a perverse way it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens but i i think there are going to be some big casualties at the end of it yeah so hopefully I just I feel like pure shit, shit and I just want football back <laughs> especially after this it's been very uplifting hasn't it we yeah. going very we haven't even discussed something that much in this I bit. know exactly <laughs> no we haven't I mean we're going we're gonna to bring things to a close here because uh, 
Rory's for for those who can't see, obviously everyone else apart from us three can can see um, that Rory's in his running gear and he wants to get out and he's he's literally champing at the bit now. He's he's. Uh, I he's think you're being. I think I think you're doing as giving us too much credit there, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll bring things to a close, but. Just a little bit of a plug for our um, our pandemic pods that we've been that we've been working on. We're trying to keep spirits high, not just for for the listeners, but for us as well. So we've been doing a few kind of deep dives into into music. We did music the other day. We've, we're we're doing films as well. Um, we're gonna we're gonna start doing like recipes on the side of um, crisp packets, things like that. Just just went run out of things to, to deep dive on. So um, so yeah. But enjoy enjoy them while 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 they're going. Another while quiz soon as well. About. That was recorded the other day. The, what was that? Another quiz to be released yes. soon as well. That Another was recorded quiz. the other day. Yeah, the quizzes have been very popular. Um, so that that we had to add a second semi final. So there's going to be another quiz as well for the final. We're not going to give any away of of who's going to be in the final. But obviously, already through is uh, Tom Walsh who who swatted aside Chris Weatherspoon <laughs> Fluke. in the uh, in the first <laughs> semi final. <laughs> Fluke. I mean, there was there was all too many coronas. It was all to play for until until the Ali McCoy question. Ali McCoy just yeah. seemed to get away. Just seemed but to get away from you. To give that. a teaser for the next quiz, it's it's quite dramatic. I would say the next one. Brilliant. Is it like garden furniture being thrown around? Well, Stephen's involved. Yeah, I was about so to say yeah. Stephen's on it. Does the does the water cannon make an appearance? <laughs> you got arrested halfway through. That's what. <laughs> Brilliant, but yeah, have a, have a look through our, our podcasts, wisemanstay.co.uk. Um, pick out pick out a couple of episodes that you, that you, that you can listen to while enjoying your Easter weekend. Um, have a good Easter. Stay at home. Protect the NHS and fuck the mags.